every program is written in pencil. This is my favorite quote from today's podcast. This is episode 57 of the Cutoffs and Coffee podcast. We are here as your host, James and CT from T3 Performance, as always. And today we have Coach Johnny Jackson, who is at Coach Jacko on Instagram and Facebook. He's a strength and conditioning coach out of Columbus, Ohio. Coach Johnny has had a ton of experience playing rugby, played for his whole life since he was five. He's now 36 years old, still playing rugby. So we dive into training rugby players, see what rugby players need in the weight room, what they need outside the weight room and what things we can do holistically to help them kind of manage the injuries that naturally come from the sport of rugby. We dive into triphasic training. He's a big fan of triphasic. So we talk a while on that. We also talk about training the neck and some other awesome things that he's doing on his side to have a lot of success with his athletes. And this episode is brought to you by Saturday Skills the best opportunity for high school football players to get game-like reps during the winter. Come out on a Saturday. It starts at 7.15 and runs till 8.30. You have excellent skill coaches at every position from the director of our football performance, Dale, to CT working with receivers, and we get to sling the rock around with me and the QB. So Saturday Skills is a unique opportunity. Not only do we get those competitive reps, but you have coaches with you to talk through what happened so you can reflect on each rep and make an adjustment. It is my favorite session to coach this time of year so come check it out saturday skills if you're a high school football player in the area and if you like what we're doing here on the cutoffs and coffee podcast you can support us by subscribing to us on youtube apple or spotify wherever you listen to your podcast share it with your friends and reach out to us individually and let us know what high performers you want to have on the podcast we will do our best to have conversations with them all right here it is johnny jackson coach jacko episode 57 enjoy Coach Johnny Jackson, welcome to the show, baby. Cut off some coffee. How are you today, my man? I'm doing great. Got my coffee now. You guys have coffee? Cheers. Yes, sir. James, you must be a couple cups in by now, huh? I went with a C4 energy drink this morning, to be honest. Oh, all right. All right. Yeah. Rocket fuel. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Big day ahead. I'm not mad about that. Hey, real quick, wanted to tell this story. Uh, I don't even think James knows this, um, but how Johnny and I kind of got linked up. We have mutual athletes that we train. I'm running programs out there at Notre Dame College. There's a football player, Blake Guffey, who comes in. He's one of those athletes that makes our jobs easy, right? Anything you ask him to do, he'll do. He'll go above and beyond. I show up to the weight room at 6 a.m. to run a session. He's outside on the field doing field work at 5 a.m. So <laughs> I know this guy's worked with some good coaches, right? We had a we had a max day a couple of weeks ago where we were maxing barbell on the back reverse lunges. And we've had two athletes, one athlete hit over 500, another athlete hit 400. And then Blake out of nowhere hits like 450 on a reverse lunge. And as soon as he finishes it and I spot him and I rack it, I say, who do you work with in the off season? Because I got to talk to this dude. He sent me Johnny's Instagram. I hit him up right away. And I was like, man, we got, we got to have this conversation because he's producing some monsters out there. So glad we got the, the time figured out. Glad we got to have you on the podcast. We're excited for this conversation, man. Me too, man. I mean, yeah, Blake's one of those uh, rare characters, man. I mean, I remember last year he went out on a senior trip to uh, Cedar Rapids. Uh, now, what's the uh, the amusement park you guys have here in Ohio? Uh, Cedar, uh, Point, Cedar Point. Cedar Point. Cedar Point. Um, and uh, he texted me like about 6 p.m. He's like, hey, I'm not going to get home till 10 p.m. Uh, should I do conditioning right after my senior trip? It's like, bro, no, just chill. Just, just, uh, <laughs> No, you're fine. You've done everything, everything right. Uh, go enjoy yourself, man. Yeah. You know? um, but I met Blake when he was about 15. 
and he he's been driving back like an hour and a half to my facility to where I work uh pretty consistently for the past three years, man. So that's the kind of guy that you're working with there. He's very dedicated. Yeah. Yeah. And you see a, a lot of good videos of him on, on your social media and we'll kind of dive into what that training looks like, but, you know, just wanted to kind of connect on our mutual athletes and let them know that, you know, I, as soon as I spotted this dude, I said, who is your coach? He must be a bad, he must be a bad dude. And you go to his Instagram and it turns out, turns out he is. So, Coach, tell us something before we get, you know, get into the nuts and bolts of the training and all that. Tell us something that we need to know about you that we can't find from a Instagram or a Google search. Uh, I like to fly fish, man. Oh, here we go. I like to fly fish in my free time. So it's a family thing. There are, places to do that brother brother. Hmm? are there places to do that in Columbus? Uh, so summer, uh, a lot of smallmouth fishing uh, and all the rivers. Uh, and then you got the Mad River. And uh, then in the winter, kind of early springtime, you got Steelhead close to Lake Erie and the tributaries there. So right now, it's just been a bit of a, of a struggle. We just had a baby. My, my wife just had her first baby last year. So and I, I don't know if you guys have kids, but once you have that, that first baby, you know, things change a little bit. That's what so I'm hearing. I'm, uh, I'm two months away. My, my wife's uh, oh, congrats, man. given birth here in, in March. Um, so I'm oh. excited and terrified at the same time, man. Yeah. Do you guys have family in town? Yes. Yes. Oh, that helps. Like we don't have anybody right now. Uh, so it's all daycare and us. We haven't had a date in about a year. Mm. About a year. Uh, but it is what it is, man. Uh, you make your sacrifices, you know? Nobody put you in that position. You decided to do that. So yeah. about to give all about giving uh the baby the best life you can, right? Absolutely, man. Yeah, baby's yeah. gonna be fly fishing here in no time. Oh no, I did. So I'm, I'm getting this suspenders. I go on the waders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my wife's still not convinced. Um, but I'm doing it this summer for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, and I see you repping the fly fishing on the hat now that I now that I look at it. Oh yeah, I got a bunch of those hats. Yeah. Nice. All right, how about this one? Um can you remember or tell us about the last skill that you taught yourself or something that you're currently working on? So right now, the past year is uh, because of the baby. I kind of put a lot of things on hold a little bit. Uh, I've just been trying to reinforce what I have already. Uh, but I've been diving in for the past couple of years into that PRI concept, the postural restoration institute stuff, all the ribcage stuff, the pelvis stuff. Uh, I, I'm still yet to figure it all out because it's, it's super complicated. Um, but what I've learned so far uh, has been really valuable, uh, on how, uh, I can help people, uh, move better and, uh, move without pain. So all the times it could be just a rib cage issue or a, a pelvis issue or a, a foot issue. And it's all interconnected, right? And it's all linked together with the breathing. Uh, it's just a big puzzle and everyone's different and you gotta look at a move like blake for example he's got really tight hips he can't really internally rotate so when he sprints he sprints like he's giving birth <laughs> knees go out a little bit so we've been working a little bit on that rotation of the hip um but it takes time you know and it takes consistency and repetitions as well so but again i'm not gonna say i have it all figured out uh i'm still kind of diving into that because there's a lot to know it's a lot to learn yeah. And that was a big thing that he said when we were talking about you coming on, he said, Oh man, he, he's always cueing my rib cage. He's always talking about the ribs. So we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, all right. How about your story, man? Let's, so catch us up, let everybody know 
you know, kind of your, your childhood coming up and playing sports, your, tell us about your rugby career and past and how you got into strength and conditioning and then kind of line us up to where you're at now and let everybody know who's listening, you know, how you became coach Jacko. Oh, oh, we got time, right? Okay, cool. Uh, I'll keep it short, short as I can. So, all right. So I was born in uh, Santiago, Chile. Uh, my dad's from Scotland. My mom's from Chile. Uh, grew up there most of the time. Spent a lot of time in Scotland growing up too, just every summer. And uh, so I've been playing rugby since the age of five. Uh, my dad was a coach at the school I went to. Uh, rugby coach so I never really had a chance not to play rugby uh, it was always kind of like there so not that I was ever forced to do it it was just always there and uh, I've always loved it uh, then about when I was I 17 family moved to the states we moved to California actually and uh, I did about a year of high school in California and uh, I almost played football uh, but I mainly joined them to kind of just do the weightlifting because I never really weightlifted before. Um, so I did the weightlifting with them for about a year. And then the time to put the pads on came on and I just didn't like it. They were telling me to tackle with my face in, into somebody's chest. And I just didn't fucking get it. But can I swear here? Can I swear? Yes. <laughs> All right, cool. Not for uh, kids. I just didn't fucking get it, man. I was like, I'm just going to go play rugby. So I found a, a rugby team in town, uh, a bunch of Tongans. I was 17 at the time. Uh, and if you want to learn how to be physical, go play with some, some Tongans, man. Those guys will knock you out for fun. Um, anyway, uh, when I was about 19, I tore my ACL. Uh and I had a kind of long recovery because I had to wait for my surgery. It took six months to get the uh, surgery. And during that time, I started kind of reading all the uh, exercise books, all the exercise science books. And, and, and that's when I went like, hey, man, like, I may not end up playing professional, but I will love the process of getting to that point. And maybe I can help other people avoid the mistakes that I've made. Uh, and that's when I kind of started diving into that journey. Uh, Kept playing, kept getting injured, just unlucky there. Uh, had a shoulder surgery when I was like 22. Shortly after, I had a second shoulder surgery on my other shoulder. Had about 17 dislocations on my left shoulder. Uh, and I'm stubborn, so I kept going. Um, and then I had like 12 on my right shoulder. And I'm stubborn, so I kept going. So I had uh, both of them fixed. Then when I was about 25, 26, I found out I had a thyroid issue that may have been contributing to all these problems, uh, these injuries, you know, uh, having an underactive thyroid can mess up your cardio, can mess up your, your tendons a little bit. Um, and that's when I kind of started to understand my body a bit more. Uh, and I, I was doing that all while I was coaching, right? So and when you're young, you start coaching, you don't really sleep much, right? You're not supposed to. You're supposed to be the first in the gym and last one out. And, uh, you know, caffeine, that's uh, your best friend. Uh, anyway, uh, so I was playing rugby in California whenever I wasn't injured and then took a year off and then I decided to go get my master's. Uh, first of all, I got my bachelor's degree at uh, Cal State Long Beach in California in uh, kinesiology and uh, it was a focus on leadership and uh, sports psychology. 
through the coaching. Um, and then I did a, a couple of cool internships. I did a, an internship at what used to be called Athletes Performance. It's Exos now. Mark Verstegen? Yeah, over in Arizona. Yeah. yeah, so we did that there. And uh, that was a great experience. It's one of those, you think you're good, but like you're shit because you, you haven't done anything yet, you know? Uh, and you get there with the attitude like, oh, I'm going to dominate this shit. And then they just chew you up and like they spit you back out. It's like, all right, you're shit, get better. And uh, that's a big eye opener for me. Um, and at first, when I was there, I, I, I kind of resisted it. I had a bit of an attitude, like, fuck this. But I left a different person there, you know, just uh, different mentality, you know. Um, and uh, so before we left, one of the big things, uh, so Mark Bristogan came into the room uh, where all the interns were, and he kind of compared coaching to being a farmer. Like, we're farmers, guys. So we got early hours. We have to take care of the plants. We got to water the plants, the athletes, right? We got to be very careful how we order them. And it's all about the plants, right? So coach comes second. Your needs come second, which is true, right? Um, and I think to a certain degree, we can uh, take that too hard a bit too much and uh, not take care of ourselves. You know, we tell athletes, you got to sleep, guys, sleep, 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 uh, recover. But then we don't do that ourselves. Um, that kind of may have contributed to my whole thyroid issue too. But uh, anyway, did a couple other internships. Uh, one at Velocity Sports in uh, Redondo Beach, California. Uh, that was like a combine intern prep. Uh, and then I just kind of worked a little bit at different gyms. Nothing great. Uh, just kind of keep busy, keep working, keep learning how to be a better coach because I feel like the more populations you can work with uh, and the more you can help them, the better a coach you're going to be, right? You can solve more problems. Uh, and I think I didn't want to do that when I was younger because I wanted to work with athletes, you know, like uh, athletes. I'm an athlete. I want to work with athletes. But um, in a way, it was an important learning curve for me to be able to work with. I worked at boot camp for a while in California, you know, just – 50 people in a class, you know, and uh, it was nuts. I mean, people just doing weird shit and you're trying to correct everyone doing like bad RDLs and stuff. Uh, um, mm -hmm. But I mean, I grew a lot from that. Um, then eventually I decided to uh, get my master's degree. So my wife and I moved to Scotland for about a year and a half. And, uh, I got into the University of Edinburgh and I did the strength and conditioning master's program there. Uh, good degree, a lot of research involved there. Uh, so we spent there about a year and a half and uh, we wanted to stay there, but at that stage of my life, I was 30 and the jobs that were being offered just weren't compatible financially with being 30. And uh, I had to get something else. So I applied for a job uh, in Columbus here uh in 2017 october i started there uh and i spent about a year in that gym learned a lot uh that's where i kind of started doing all the, the triphasic stuff because that, that's where i learned it um 
and a year into that job, uh, I had three really bad concussions playing sevens rugby that summer in 2018. And shortly after, my brain was just mush. And for some reason, obviously the concussions, I just got a little bit depressed. So I had to leave the job to take a few months off just to like reset my mind because I just, I just wasn't helping anybody, you know. Uh, didn't want to be a hypocrite. It's like I can't help somebody, but I can't help myself right now. Um, after that, that's when I kind of stumbled into the new gym I'm working at, where I've been there for three years. Uh, different concept. The other gym was more of a, I'm assuming what you guys have is more of a, a W2 situation where everyone's under your leadership and you guys have programs set, right? And you're building this whole, this big kind of, community of coaches where everyone's in sync right and uh where i'm at right now i'm an independent contractor so i can't do whatever i want uh i just pay my rent there and um a little communication with the coaches but it's more like everyone's doing their own thing really um but yeah been there for three years um i'm still trying to play rugby but uh you know i'm getting older now i'm 36 uh the old bones hurt a little bit more. I can do everything I can. I used to be able to do, but it's just a recovery. The recovery just doesn't happen as fast as it used to, you know? I'm sure you guys, uh, how old are you guys? Yeah, I'm 35. Okay, so you're, you're right yeah, there, So, So the recovery just doesn't happen anymore, man, like it used to, you know? So it's got to be more mindful about what you do for training. you got to make more compromises. Uh, you can't try to be the best at everything anymore. You have to pick a few things and focus on that. Right now is stay a little bit fast and keep that cardio, you know, keep that aerobic capacity so that you can do everything else uh, that you have properly. Yeah, man. I think when I decided to make that shift to focusing on recovery is really when my performance kind of started to go back up um but i didn't realize recovery was important until i was you know 28 29 and so i'm super passionate about sharing that information with my athletes too because i'm thinking like i was just in you know just 10 years 15 years ago I, I was just doing what you were doing and i and i know that it feels like you can drink till 4 a.m and then train at six. Oh yeah and, no, dude no way you know, man <laughs> it's like Please stop doing that. You know what I mean? It's like, that's why I keep, I get it. Right. I've been there, but like, like you said, focus on sleep and good food and don't snack late and, you know, be aware of what's going on in, in your body and mentally and, you know, psychologically and spiritually and all of that. And I think that's such a, I think that's such an important point. Um, rugby man is such a, such an interesting sport. You said, you know, you put the pads on, to play football and didn't like it right was that one of those things because I, I i played football my whole life and i remember thinking how tough rugby players must be to play a similar sport to that i play just without pads did you look at it as oh this this sport is too soft like no, these all these no. pads on like what are they doing <laughs> no i wouldn't say that that's no, how i feel I, like, I just, I'm like rugby dudes are like... bad dudes I was uh, I was young, you know, and uh, I still wanted to play rugby, you know, and uh, I think the sacrifices that you have to make to play high school football are 
very big sacrifices. Uh, and you might not even play. I mean, you understand that I'm coming from a place that I had never played football, really. So the chances of me actually getting game time, uh, I don't think were very high. Uh, and I didn't just want to sit on the bench there, like, supporting. I, I wanted to keep playing. So the rugby thing for me was a no-brainer. The, the pads kind of just, like, made the decision for me. It was just like, yeah, this is not for me. Thank you very much, you know. Uh, it, it was just... Why why do you want me to tackle with my face inside somebody's chest? Well, like I'm like, I go cheek to cheek, you know, cheek to cheek to protect your neck. Yeah, aren't there more injuries in American football than rugby? Even though we're we're more padded up. I right, it's just because you lead with a helmet, right? But that's changing a lot. I think a, a lot yeah. of this, uh NFL teams too are are even hiring rugby uh coaching consultants on, on tackling technique. Uh no, the Seahawks did that. Right. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. There's a, I mean, there's a program like called Tip of the Spear uh-huh. um, that's actually combining, like, the technical aspects, and this is through USA Football, um, that's combining the technical aspects of the rugby tackle into, mm-hmm. like, teaching American football players how to use that. And the program's called Tip of the Spear. Um, but it is talking about how we need to get away as American football players with leading with the head, and they've made rules changes around it. Um, yeah. And they're teaching more of that um, cheek to cheek roll and tackle. Um, right. Kind of Especially in the younger ages, you know, like uh, like yeah. the peewee football. Like I've seen like in the past coaches just directly telling kids, hey, drive your helmet through this kid's chest. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. no, don't do that. <laughs> you know, like you're going to compress your spine at a young age. You're going to give yourself a concussion. Like you're going to stop playing in a year, you know. Um but yeah, I mean, rugby is an interesting sport. And, and I mean, it all comes from the same place, right? Uh, there's this book called uh, Unholy Union, which talks about just the beginnings of, of rugby and how, you know, everything came from soccer, right? Mm. And this book says that in the 1800s, before soccer started, like the Football Association started, soccer may have looked more like rugby than soccer looks right right now so it would have been actually fun to watch soccer well it depends on you know the eye of the beholder you know uh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah but um it's an interesting read uh i'm only a few chapters in but uh they talk about how the whole football thing started uh it was because people were getting injured you know and then they decided to kind of pass it over the line, the line of scrimmage uh but again, I think there's a bit kind of nationalism side of things with like American football, mm-hmm. you know. So, especially because they didn't like the Brits back then. So, looking back on it, it's funny because I hesitate to ask. You know, it, it's not so much regrets or changing things that you did because we did those things back then because we were doing the best we possibly could. Right now, we look back on it. Okay, some of the things I was doing was not correct. Right, I maybe should have probably gotten more sleep. I maybe shouldn't have, you know, had pizza six nights a week, whatever that was, you know, kind of coming up. But what are some of the things that you look back now and when you're working with, let's say, middle school, high school, college level rugby players that you are teaching them in the weight room that you weren't doing that, you know, would have helped you kind of, you know, move that needle forward? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, a lot, man. I mean, we all say, oh, if I knew this 10 years ago, you know. Uh, right. And again, that's like, why I'm like, what, what could have been different? We were doing you know? our best. 
right? We're doing right. our best. Um, I, I think just like, obviously, load management and understanding that every program is written in pencil. So what I mean by that is what I've changed a lot because I've learned from other coaches is that the session's not always a session. If you see somebody coming in, they look like a deflated balloon and you have a max effort day, guess what? That day's not max effort anymore. You can't. I mean, like, you're not going to get much out of it, right? Um, so lately, what I've kind of really been adopting is, is that high-low model, the Charlie Francis high-low model. Uh, and that's worked pretty well, especially with team sports, because I've found a lot of value in having high-stress days and low-stress days to allow the body to recover. Uh, and before, it wasn't always like that. Especially, I feel like we're much kinder to other people when it comes to that than we are to ourselves. Because in the back of my mind, I'm always like, don't be a pussy, you know? Sounds uh, about when right. When I was younger, I always used to do that. I was like, oh, I have, I have, I programmed this, I'm doing it, but I'm crushed. And then you kind of mess up your back a little bit because you didn't change the plan according to how you felt like. Because like, there's a lot that goes into it, right? It's just stress is stress. And uh, uh, you guys ever read that book, Triphasic, by Cal Dietz? I haven't completely dove into it, but, you know, we, we work yeah, on I mean, concepts it, a little bit. Right? So, like, it has a big chapter on stress, right? Stress is stress. Like, you get in a fight with your wife or your girlfriend, that's stress. You have finals that week, that's stress. Uh, anything is stress. Exercise is stress. Not sleeping is stress. So I think if we can holistically look at all that and uh, apply it to uh, individual athletes, I think you can get a lot more out of each athlete. Uh, obviously, in a team situation, it's a little bit difficult. Uh, but the questionnaires, like the wellness questionnaires at the beginning of sessions, I think have a lot of value. Uh, so I use the app by Train Heroic to do most of my programming. Uh, and it comes with a, a set questionnaire basically asking about sleep, mood, uh, energy, stress levels, soreness. And it kind of gives you a daily profile of where the guys are uh, that day. And then you can kind of make decisions based on that. So somebody, it's uh, five as a total. If somebody comes in and they give me like a two, we're having a quick chat. Maybe we're just backing off the volume and kind of stand below 85% and just move that bar as fast as possible. Uh, and we'll get what we can today. Just live to fight another day. That's, that's what I say a lot. Let's live to fight another day. So along, you know, along your path, it sounds like you've had just some incredible experiences from a wide range of, of influences, you know, from, Mark Verstegen, then, you know, finding triphasic a little later in your career. Um, and, and then um, being able to put all those things in practice while you're, you know, continuing your education process. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that, like kind of paradigm shifting moment that you had in your um, work at, at 
API or, or Exos now. Um, what was the biggest paradigm shifting moment? As you kind of recall that you said that, you know, I thought I was hot shit coming in. And then I realized being around, you know, these coaches that, that maybe I wasn't, um, what were some of the things that you took from that? And, and that really helped you have that paradigm shifting moment about what coaching is and, and exercise science is to you? Well, uh, so before that, I, I always thought it was more about how much you knew, right? Like you got to know your shit, you know, you got to know the science behind stuff. Uh, but I didn't really put myself enough in other people's shoes. If you know what I mean, right? I didn't really know that I, I lacked empathy, but I, I just, I think I just lacked experience, you know, uh, dealing with different populations uh, and dealing with different uh, levels of ability and, and just understanding that not everyone comes from the same place, you know? Uh, and it took me a little bit because at first when I got there, I got put up with the uh, the young kids. Uh, so I had to do a lot of the young kids stuff. And at the time I wasn't very happy. I was like, uh, why am I not with the pros, you know? Um, but that was part of what kind of allowed me to, you know, get over myself basically. Cause that's all, that's all it was. It's me just getting over myself. Right. Um, and you see basically coaches that, that do that every day and they do it for years, you know, and, um, the type of uh, mentality they have, the attitudes they had, and you're there basically living there. Cause they, 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 they house you, right. You're living there with your interns. Uh, so you can't, you talk with your basically teammates every day and, uh, that was kind of like the rewarding part of it, I think, having everyone living in the house, everyone kind of just keeps themselves accountable, keep each other accountable. Uh, th that was a big part for me, just having like my intern teammates tell me like, yo, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it was pretty gradual. Like I wouldn't say it was pretty abrupt. It was pretty gradual. I was pretty resistant at first, and then I got to uh, work under uh, Bartholomew at the time when he was there, and uh, he kind of pulled me aside and kind of called me on my bullshit a little bit, uh, and and that really kind of helped me a little bit because he's a pretty pretty intense character if you've never met him. Um, and I know he's, he's pretty big right now with his uh, out of coaching stuff. You guys read that book, Conscious Coaching? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a classic now, you know. So yeah. uh, I learned a lot from him, uh, not from the coach perspective only, but just from the uh, communication side of things and just why are we really doing this, you know. Um, this was back in the day, but he said to us once, like, look, guys, if you look at your paycheck at the end of the month and you're doing it for the paycheck, you will suffer for, from depression because this is not a field where you get rich, surrounding conditioning. And he's right, um, especially like in the collegiate sector uh, and to some degree in the private sector. You know, I'll tell you too, it's not a knock on you as an individual or young coaches when coming out of school, like you said, master's degree, CSCS, all this kind of stuff. And then you get actually put into the thing. 
right? I, a lot of people think that, okay, just because I've got this formal education means I should be able to do everything with the highest level of athlete. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, and I my level of entry is right there and I walk right in and I should be able to take this and I can do it. But then once you get into the thing, you realize that maybe there were a couple of days that you skipped or that you missed in your formal education that didn't cover communication or conscious coaching or, you know, all these other kind of intangibles that we need to have as a coach that it takes a long time to develop. Right. right. And we see that all the time with, with young interns or, or coaches who come straight out of college with master's degree and they got a fire under their ass because they are going to be the training director right away. Cause they know more than everybody else. And then they get into the thing and realize you don't know how to do the thing. Right. right? As coaches, we're extra hard on ourselves because we did all that. We went through all that. We passed the tests. We got the certifications, but then we need reps reps and reps and reps to get good at it that's why the internships are so valuable i mean yeah i mean i wouldn't be where i am right now if i hadn't taken those internships uh or those low-paying jobs uh because you're right you need the reps and uh when i see young coaches not putting in the reps i just get a bit frustrated because this will pay dividends in the future like you got to kind of go after the information, but you have to apply it to. And there's people that have applied the information for much longer than you have that may know a few things about how to apply it more effectively. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's part of the, the whole ego side of, 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 of the field, right? I think like there's like a, a big ego in the uh, field of uh, training. Uh, it's very hard to tell a lot of young coaches, hey, how about do this instead of this, right? Because coming off of like having the education, you know, like you said, they think they know everything. Um, and I, I've definitely been that guy in the past, you know, and uh, thankfully I, I improved, you know, I, I changed my mindset because I wouldn't have stayed longer than that in the field had I not, I think. Uh, just kind of have to be a bit more humble. Yeah, and it's yeah, definitely got- an evolutionary process, right? You know, I think we have these little paradigm shifting moments along the way. Like for me, I got my start doing speed and hitting at a baseball facility and then started personal training because I wanted more work. And then from there found an athlete performance facility, T3, and, and that was 10 years ago in my first introduction um was eye-opening for me to look at how intricate just the warm-up was which is a warm-up I don't even use anymore but it was an eye-opening experience and along the way I evolved and I had people around me that kind of helped and you know I think one thing was like always my personal like education in the weight room like experimenting with things and um you know that led me to you know how I practice you know my my training with with the athletes that I that I have now and you know I'm sure it'll look different another two years from now um from from what I'm doing now um, you know, as, as we're kind of like getting ready for, for this show and, and we see a lot of the stuff you're doing, um, it seems like, you know, diving into the neck, the concussions and, and, you know, PRI, you, you explained that, that you were, you know, diving into that rabbit hole. Um, what is that next evolution for you? Kind of where are you at with, with those topics? I'd love to dive into, cause that's not something that me and CT talk about a, a lot is, is, you know, what is the rib cage to you? And then how do you, you know, have those contact athletes, you know, how do you treat the neck and, and, and where does PRI kind of fall into those areas? 
So first of all, I I refer a lot of that stuff out sometimes. If I can't figure something out, especially when it comes to, to neck stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I refer that out to somebody that like a chiropractor, sports chiropractor. Um, but uh, if I can do something, uh, it'll be basically based on breath work, right? And uh, learning how to properly exhale. So when you exhale, that's when the rib cage comes to light, really. Um, and kind of like the big thing that I changed based on that is the cue chest up on a squat. I stopped saying that because not that it's wrong, uh, but from my experience, is the athlete ends up extending the lumbar spine way more than they have to. And when that happens, because your ribcage is squared up, from what I've seen, is that you can't really utilize your hips effectively. So you end up using your lower back more. So say you're at the bottom of a squat, you got a barbell on your back, you're kind of falling forward a little bit, you're on your toes a little bit more. When you're on your toes and you're not on your whole foot, you're going to probably end up extending your knee first, which is going to force you to use your lower back a little bit more. Somebody told me this once, like, how do you subdue an alligator? You guys know? Uh, I've only seen Happy Gilmore do it. All right, so like, I don't remember who said this, but uh, I fall out, when yeah. I heard it, it made sense. So uh, what you do is you grab them from the neck and you lift the rib cage up. And when that happens, they can't really use their hips or their core. And kind of the same thing happens to us. If, if you lift somebody's rib cage up, they won't be able to do much with the core and the hips. So same thing, I think it applies to, to when we're doing uh, squats and exercise of that nature. Uh, a lot of the athletes we work with are already in that really kind of hyperextended lumbar position. And there's a big saying going on right now is like, they're already there. They're not going to get more. So you end up just compressing the vertebrae back there. And uh, you can cause a lot of problems, I think, going in the future. Uh, and, and that can kind of radiate down the leg. And working with the, the, the breath, the exhale, and the rib cage uh, has been a, a huge game changer for me. Just that simple little thing there. We talk about moving the spine a pretty decent amount now, which I think is important because, you know, like you said, people are, are young athletes are kind of stuck in positions, whether it be, you know, hunched over if they're reading their phone or, you know, on a computer or on tablets or whatever that is. So we, we do talk about the spine a bit, but as far as the neck, what are some of the things that you see, let's say a, a movement athlete, uh, excuse me, movement pattern that you see in an athlete that you can immediately go to, oh, that could be a, that could be a neck thing. That could be a rib cage thing. What are some of those things that you see pretty often that, you know, kind of set that light bulb off in your mind and say, oh, let me talk rib cage. Let me talk, you know, neck with these guys. So first of all, after quarantine, uh, working with a lot of uh, middle school and high school athletes right after that, I saw a lot of the same issues in, in that population just because they're all doing homework, sitting in their beds. Mm. with the legs straight out um and i saw a lot of like hip imbalances like one pole is higher than the other uh and that text neck thing you know 
because they spend basically a year doing that, doing homeschooling, you know, uh, on their computers, on Zoom. Um, and they weren't being very active because gyms were closed most of the time, right? Uh, but I, I think uh, the best way to see is when you see people sprinting. Uh, if you have a sprinter, from what I've seen is once the rib cage comes up and they lose that like kind of lumbar pelvic control, uh, they'll lose control and they're not going to be able to use their hips properly and they end up kind of just overusing their hamstrings. And the thing I see is the whipping of that back leg on the backside mechanic kind of things is the whipping. There's no control because the rib cage is flared up and they're arching their back. They're, they're no longer in control. That's one of the big things for me. And uh, that can also kind of move up to the neck because they'll kind of go like, you know what I mean? So we kind of like do intentional drills. And what's worked for me with my athletes is basically I have them hold like a bar in front here, like a 10 pound bar or like a ball, something that will kind of encourage them to keep that ribcage down. And I'll say, look, we're going to run with good form, but you're not allowed to run faster than that until you can maintain that form when you sprint. Because if you lose control, we're not getting where we need to go. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're saying they kind of compensate by right so they changing their patterns or positions to try to move faster. Right. So like, I think it's uh, obviously to get faster, you have to run fast. I mean, there's no debate around that. But I, I think uh, technique, especially like, we're not talking about like Olympic level athletes here. We're talking about just like, Good high school athletes, you know, because, uh, you know, like if you have an Olympic level sprinter and they do something and they're still running fast, I mean, just don't fix what's not broken. Yeah, let them do it. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, with the high school kids and the middle school kids uh, who may not be as blessed to be Olympic uh, sprinters or NFL stars they, I think need a little bit more structure. So having that structure there, I think it helps them a lot to basically not pull the hamstring because eventually if they run like that, they will pull their hamstring. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, you know, one tool that I've used um, is to contrast like a bad technical running form. And, and we talk, you know, through a Darien um, bar, like squatty running is a concept that he uses. And again, yeah, I can't really wrap my head around it, but I'll take kids with the dowel rod overhead and have them do a sprint with that. And that's in a disadvantageous position. We'll talk about what that feels like. And then we'll replace that barbell into their hips. And now we talk, hey, let's introduce this concept of like run a little squattier. That dowel rod's going to help them get that roll. And then they'll feel that and then be like, okay, hey, you felt the difference between these two, right? Well, where do you think you end up when you're actually running with no constraints? And then that leads to a good conversation. And then they can start um, making that connection from those two different positions and what they felt better um, and then be able to show that without any dowel rod. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely, you see, I have a picture perfect image of Joel Seaman doing his sprint month where he was just max effort sprinting cold. And like, that's the picture of like that I have in my head with like that right. rib cage flared up. Right. I have no idea what's going in my backside or my front side mechanics. I can't even right. see right ahead of me. Um, but, you know, I think that, you you explained it so well when you said that like we can't really be out of control in sports um, because there's so many you know different things that we're 
supposed to be picking up with our eyes. And if mm -hmm. we're out of control trying to run a max effort sprint, there's no way I can get out of that position um, yeah. consistently in a safe way. Because um, well, at the end of the day, it's a skill, right? Yeah. Sprinting is a skill. Uh, and uh, it can be worked on. You just need to, I think, be patient and uh, not get ahead of yourself, you know? Especially like when it comes to acceleration, a lot of the time, what I tell my athletes is like, don't be in a rush to be fast when you're learning to accelerate. Because that's going to kind of impact your mechanics long term. Because it's about force, right? It's not about speed, the first few steps. So can we, and I know that uh, the Ethereum bar methodology has a, a different uh, kind of process. I haven't taken his, his course, but uh, I've heard he, he's more about picking your feet up as you fall down, right? Yep. It's more about um, lift than push. Okay, okay. So like if my focus is lift the front of like the, I'm thinking about my front side of my foot. So the, um, the dorsal side of my foot is what I'm thinking, lift my dorsal side of my foot up as opposed to focus on the push from the backside. Okay, which is where everyone else teaches, right? So, and that's that's really interesting because yeah, uh, and, and like I've played around with it a ton, where it's like it really is athlete dependent more so than it is one way's right and one way's oh, everything is athlete dependent. Everything yeah. should be athlete dependent, right? I mean, that's Absolutely. where the other coaching comes in, I think, because sometimes you'll get an athlete and like you'll just have to kind of just grab the piece of paper, wrinkle it up, and start from zero because some things just don't work with everyone, you know, and. uh it can be frustrating, but I think uh, it's 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 an opportunity to challenge yourself as a coach to kind of do things a bit differently, which if we don't do that, you know, the job can get boring. You don't want to work with robots all the time. You want challenges. You want different people, and you want to come with different solutions for different people. Every program should be written in pencil. I'm trying to think if I've heard of more favorite quote this year so far i know it's yeah. only what, 10 days in but i gotta decorate if you're watching the video version this uh you know cement wall behind me and i think <laughs> at some point i'm gonna print that quote out every program is written in pencil and put it back on this wall that is such a great i i, I love that concept i love that idea i'm, I'm gonna start using that but uh, along with programming we see you doing we've talked about a little bit the, the triphasic programming and that was another thing that I dove in pretty heavy with Blake. I mean, we talked 45 minutes an hour after one of his sessions about, about triphasic training. And I've, I've done a couple, you know, programs where I've done a few weeks of pretty dedicated ISOs, done some pretty dedicated eccentrics, but never really gone a hundred percent into it. And from looking at the stuff that you do with your athletes on, on your social media, it looks like you do a lot of that stuff. And again, that was a thing that Blake said has been just unbelievable and transformative in his performance. So I do want to talk about that a little bit, even though the, you know, the programs do change and are written in pencil, right? What are some of those concepts that you're using? How often do you use them? What are your favorite exercises to use them? You know, how long do you have athletes holding ISOs? I want to kind of pick your brain on all that triphasic stuff and how you use that to help athletes with, with their performance. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I use uh, triphasic stuff a lot uh, just because it's so good, you know, uh, yeah. I don't think it's for everyone. And with Triphasic, you got the super maximal model and the sub maximal model. The super being you're doing uh, weights above 100% of your one rep max. I will 100% not do that if I don't have enough spotters 
for each athlete going through because it's just I did it all myself once and I almost died. <laughs> put a barbell on my back to the safety bar. Live to tell the story. Put a hat on 20% of my max, holding on to a barbell on the rack and doing a split squat. Uh, I got stuck and uh, couldn't get up. So and I'm dumping it back. Could have broken my leg. I didn't because I moved fast enough. Uh, but yeah, those are those are things I think uh, people need to consider. Uh, and so the way that they have it blocked because they have like different types of uh, programs, right? Uh, on, on the book, they have like five day programs. They have like three day programs, and uh, they. I think you can make triphasic your own thing, and that's kind of like what I've done myself. Uh, I, I've made it my own thing, and I use it even with gem pop. I just don't do the the French contrast side of things or the gem pop. Mm-hmm. They all hate it, but they end up liking it at the end just because they see the results of it. Right, going down the, in six seconds on a nice on an eccentric uh, lift, really enduring that, making sure that. You're not going super heavy. You're going like maybe 75, 80%. Uh, you're still helping them up, but they're coming down and they're just ingraining form there. You know, they're also getting strong. You're stretching those tendons, those muscles, storing a lot of elastic energy. Uh, you're getting some good uh, growth of the muscle as well. Now, I think at, at, at the submaximal level, there's not a lot of hormonal stuff going on, but there's just still so many benefits, right? Uh, with the super maximal, you get a lot more of that hormonal release. Because, I mean, yeah, 120%. I don't know if you guys have done that, but it's... That'll do something. That'll do something to you. It's, uh, uh, it's loading, up, loading up those Anderson squats is something that we we love to do okay. from the standpoint of overload. So the, um, you know, bar in front, split squats, bar in front, you know, like what you were describing is, like like you said, there is just something neurologically and hormonally that's happening um, when we're knowing like mentally how much is on that bar. Right. Um, and then going and attacking it. Um, I think one thing that turned me off to triphasic early on, and now I've come in back to, to utilize a lot of the eccentrics was I, I was in a point where like, I was very anti max effort, not max effort, but like focused on like, Oh, triphasic is just to get guys to hit weight room PRs. I'm not about that. Um, and then I started seeing the value in it as other coaches started experimenting. It was like, well, maybe yeah, I could still incorporate this without focusing on like at the end of this perfect 12 week program, we're going to hit new PRs and everybody's going to be happy. Like I was kind of, you know, pushed away from it, but then I started incorporating a lot of those like more longer duration eccentrics and found a lot of benefit from that. Um, yeah. and, and I find it interesting that, that you use that with your adult population, um, which like from a technical standpoint, like they are less durable than our athletes a lot of times. And they're the ones that need to ingrain those motor patterns in those movements. Um, How are you communicating this process with your athletes? You know, you talked about Brett B, um, you know, being an influence in your career. I think the way that we communicate this is, is where we really get the benefit from it. How do you present this to your athletes as you're putting them through some of these, these workouts? Right. I mean, and that's, that's true, right? I mean, you can have the best program in the the history of the world, but if, if your athlete is not buying in, if you can't communicate to the athlete, if you can't coach it properly, then it's it's no longer the best program in the world, right? Um, so I've had athletes that have basically done this for the past four years. We do it once a year only, uh, especially we're going heavy. We do two weeks of eccentrics, two weeks of isometrics, 
and then we'll do two weeks of uh, the concentric side of things. And then you move into more of a reactive phase, which is 40 to 50% moving shit fast with bands to so pull you down, get a bit more speed strength out of it. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I feel like the people that have done it for a while, they, they've experienced the uh, positive effects of the program and they know it's coming. Like they complain. It's like, oh, great. Um, and it's always good to throw some humor in there, you know. I was thinking about doing a Christmas uh, kind of video for Facebook, putting uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year <laughs> as they go down slowly, you know. <laughs> I was thinking about that, but I never made it. Um, I'm not uh, super social media savvy, so uh, lately I've been posting more because I've been kind of uh, delving into the dark side of uh, uh, online training a little bit. So if you want to work online with people, you got to be online, I guess, you know. Uh, but going back to the uh, try basic, uh, I think it's just your athlete has to trust you first before you put that in. You don't go with a new athlete like, hey, we're doing this because it's it's a bit scary, you know. Because uh, what I've seen with when you go for the super maximal loads, you get two weeks of isometrics in somebody when you go heavy uh it can make you depressed dude it just shocks you man like you feel like you're getting sick by the end of it uh which is it's the goal you're overreaching right you're trying to stress the body enough so that we can cause an adaptation uh then we throw in a little deload and then we go back and do the other one so i uh, usually i go eccentrics first for two weeks with the french contrast then we'll do a deload if necessary. Most of the time it is because the guys are pretty beat up. And then we'll go isometrics for two weeks. Uh, and I'll play around with the isometrics too, depending on what they need. I may do like kind of like a more slowly down isometric where they're just holding more weight. But now what I've been kind of really using a lot, which is what the Triphasic book kind of uh, recommends, is doing lighter weights really explosively where you're tanking down and you're forcing your muscles to just contract really fast, pause for just three seconds and just explode up, right? Uh, but I've kind of turned that into a different phase now. So I, I'll still do the heavy ones too, but then I'll go and do the kind of like accelerated eccentric isometrics where you pause and contract and then you jump. And then you, you, you contrast that with uh, the French contrast uh, and you kind of surfing the whole velocity curve there. But again, I think not everyone is ready for that. You need to have a certain level of fitness for that because it's it's shocking. I mean, your blood pressure goes off the roof, doesn't it? Uh, and it can be dangerous for somebody that is not ready. I stopped doing very heavy lifts with upper body stuff because I've heard of, it's never happened to me, but I've heard of coaches having bad experience with athletes where they've torn pecs and that's not what we're here for now. Yeah, I, I know we sprinkle them in, you know, at a at a pretty decent rate, maybe once a week, twice a week. We'll do, you know, a front squat with a pause. We'll do a bench with a pause. We'll do, you know, a, a split squat with a low ISO hold. Um, but I, it, to me, that gives us the stimulus that I'm, that I'm looking for. But we've never done it to really push, like James said, to, to really push maximum weight to try to PR, um, you know, it, 
in two weeks or four weeks or six weeks or whatever that is. I, you know, we, we like the PRs that happen almost more organically, you know, when, when an athlete comes in and they're feeling it and they, they hit a weight that they usually would struggle with, they hit it easy and then they, they make another jump and they hit it again and they PR and it's all good. Right. Because it's, it, that wasn't the intended outcome, but it ended up happening. It makes them feel good. It brings them back to the gym. They're then telling their friends about it. They're posting about it. Right. There's all this kind of things that fall in line with that. Um, so I, I like working it in like that because I I do think owning the position is is something that I say a lot with with ISO holds right is I, I think that's a super important part, like you said not only for muscle and 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 tissue and and tendon health but just for overall awareness, right? We see athletes get to the bottom of a squat and then they come flying out of it and they have no clue where they're at until they get to the very top and they rack the bar and it's like did you realize what that looked like or what that felt like? So I think it's super important for for coaches to work that in and and i do like those with younger athletes too right maybe a goblet squat you had a good post uh, the other day about yeah. a goblet squat you know going to the bottom of a goblet squat and just hanging out and and feeling where the weight is on your feet and feeling your chest tall and feeling your knees shoving forward so you can stand yourself up and and all those things are super important but you know i i think i would have to take a a pretty gnarly trip around the triphasic train for you know six eight weeks before I really started to dive into that and feel like I was good with putting other athletes in that situation because I I don't I don't totally know right. I mean you know always experiment yourself first right because uh that, that's what I did first too like, I didn't just kind of try facing somebody I, I did it myself and then I saw some good results and uh then I kind of built the courage to to apply that to somebody because when you read it it's like pretty aggressive you know um but i mean i don't see it too much as a way to get prs um i i kind of see it more to prepare the body for athletes to be able to absorb maximum forces when they're playing their sport because yeah. at the end of the day isn't that what like injury prevention is is it's more like increasing capabilities and capacities so that they can Kind of deal with the forces, the unpredictable forces that that they face in their sport, right? That that to me is the big thing, right? It's like, like everyone talks about like, oh, we do injury prevention for stuff, and like, but like, what is really injury prevention? It's all the mobility stuff. Uh, I think it, it's much more about capacity, uh, like overloading those those capacities so that we can withstand those quick decelerations and those impacts on the field of play. Yeah. And I think it was at the same time when I started diving into more of like the longer duration unweighted ISO holds that I got back into the fold of incorporating the triphasic because of what you just explained. Um, you know, what, what does that look like, you know, in terms of when you say building capacity, um, does that change from sport to sport as you're working with different populations or are there some like main rocks that you do with everybody um, that are integral in into how, how you approach uh, training an athlete? Uh, so, I mean, like when you're doing the, the triphasic stuff, especially with the isometrics, uh, I think it's important to to look at where that person is going to be in the sport uh, and really maximize those angles, for example. You know? um, so, say you're working with a rugby player you know, and you're working with a, what's called a front rower, which is the guys that go on the front of the scrum, no neck. Uh, I guess you could compare them to like American football defensive linemen in terms of uh, their nature. Um, they do what's called, uh, we call the dark arts in the scrum. You know, they, they just do a bunch of 
nobody knows what they're doing. Uh, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, like they have their own language almost. Uh, but uh, obviously with them, like you spend a bit more time at that kind of 90 degree bottom side of things because they have to be in a scrum where they're going to push and there's like a lot of isometric forces there, right? There's, there's not much moving unless you're dominating that scrum, but if you're kind of going into something that's more of an even scrum, uh, you'll have like very similar forces and you need to just, which is an isometric force. So based on that, yeah. Uh, and with younger athletes, I still make them do eccentrics and uh, isometrics. Uh, like you said, I'll just use a goblet squat, you know? Uh, matter of fact, my first phase, if I get a new athlete after an assessment, most of the time we'll go into a, what's called like an, level one isometric eccentric um, block we'll do two weeks of eccentrics uh we're about 65 percent uh and then we go into isometrics because what i get from that as a coach is invaluable i think it just makes coaching so much easier after because you've slowed everything down you've allowed their brain to like accept and understand okay this is how i move and it's much easier to correct things like the rib cage, like your hips, when you're putting them in that situation. And they get the added benefit of extra just aerobic training too, because your heart rate's kind of going up there. And they're, they're creating some pretty good tissue uh, quality results there. That's a great point. I, selfishly, I'm I'm asking this question because I work with some some rugby teams in the team training setting at the school, but are there some exercises that you think every rugby player or every rugby athlete should be doing in their programs pretty consistently that they might not get if they're just, you know, going down to a, to a local LA fitness and, and training, you know, training like an athlete or training like a bodybuilder, whatever it is, you know, people are going to squat, people are going to lunge, people are going to press and pull. Are there some things that you think rugby players specifically need to be doing to make sure that they're prepared for the demands of the sport? Or is it just, you know, train the different phases, the concentric phase, the eccentric phase, the isometric phase, train with some intent and be consistent. What, what does that kind of stuff look like? Uh, I think uh, like I'm not that dogmatic about exercises. I think every exercise could have value depending on the person and like and their anthropometrics. You know, uh, I, I think it, it always depends, right? Um, obviously, neck training is huge because there is some evidence showing that the concussions can be mitigated, uh, not prevented, of course, because you get hit in the head, you're gonna get hit in the head, right? <laughs> but uh, to some degree, it can add a little bit of stability. Uh, um, and I think just the big thing for me that I've changed in terms of the preparation for rugby is lifting is lifting. I think a lot of the time, like what works for your American football players or your wrestlers will also work for your rugby players. Uh, but the big thing is, I think the, uh, energy system development side of things is very important. And I think a lot of the time in, in our industry, we, we kind of look at the strength side of the continuum a lot, but we neglect the conditioning part of the, the job, right? And uh, I looked at the uh, eight weeks out a long time ago. You guys heard of that? Uh, Joel uh, Jameson, he has that certification, eight weeks out. I didn't get it. I just kind of read the book. I had a buddy that gave it to me. And it kind of really breaks down how to program conditioning. 
in a sustainable long-term way. Uh, and he talks a lot about the high-low method, having your high days, low days. Uh, so for rugby, I think if we can create a situation where we can apply the right stresses on the right day, say you got training on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which is kind of like your average uh, men's club uh, schedule. Ideally, I would hit my heaviest day on Tuesday if I'm in season, right? And then I'll do a little bit of sprinting that day too. Monday should be like a medium day. Wednesday should be a low day. So recovery, like, so let's think about like maybe 20 minutes of aerobic work, uh, some stretching, uh, foam rolling if you're into it. Um, I stopped foam rolling a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, it depends, man. I think it always depends because... I pretty much train everyone the same. The only thing that changes is I think the energy system side of things sometimes because like rugby has a pretty specific requirement in terms of energy system. And it's position specific too, right? You got your, your backs. They need to be running more, you know? So they need to work more in speed. Uh, your forwards are going to be more in, in what you call like a, a wrestling type of uh, conditioning because they're grappling all the time, right? They're in the scrum, they're doing isometric stuff. Um, so yeah, um, it depends. Yeah, and that's a, I appreciate you saying that. It's refreshing to hear because you know if you put in a search on Instagram with a hashtag of any sport, right? You'll have ten different people saying ten different things and exercises that you should never do or exercises that are the worst. Uh, or I think that's just a field, man. I think that feels pretty dogmatic, right? And there's some pretty strong characters that, that really believe in what they, they think and what they put out there. And uh, a lot of the time you can't negotiate with some people. It's just like, this is how it is because it's worked for me. And uh, I'm trying to be as open-minded as possible at this stage in my career because we're a young field, you know, so more and more things keep coming out. And uh, I think we need to, we need to remain adaptable. To, to evolve otherwise you're gonna get stuck what yeah one one thousand percent and i want to kind of transition that into our into our final question here um and that might have been it be adaptable but we'd like to ask the coaches where where they think we're falling short or what do you think we're missing in the industry and you know obviously very specifically talking about the strength and conditioning industry and in your niche and the athletes you work with and the people that you see on a day-to-day -day basis and even things that you see you know on social media and on the internet now that you're diving a little more into into that side of it where what do you think the big thing is or a couple things that we are missing as strength coaches that if you know we would to do a little more often things would be things would be better and we'd have a bit more success uh, I'd say I, I go back to not being as dogmatic, you know. Um, for example, a lot of what we do comes from powerlifting, right? Which is a sport in itself. Uh, same thing with bodybuilding, same thing with weightlifting. Uh, I think we need to be more open-minded in terms of obviously allow science to guide us and practice as well. Not just the science, you got to practice as well all the time. You get scientific articles and, and the populations and the sample sizes are not really indicative of what you're trying to get out of, you know, and you can read into those things a lot, right. And just make big assumptions and overgeneralizations. Um, but for example, like 
for a while I was doing a lot of conjugate stuff, you know, because you're thinking strong, you're thinking power, but not that I don't use that anymore. I think lifting like a power lifter is not great for field sport athletes because there's some limitations there. Because what's their goal? Their goal is to lift as much weight as humanly possible within the constraints of their powerlifting federation, right? So they'll make modifications based on that. Um, the other thing uh, I was thinking about is I think at some point educational standards need to kind of come to terms with something uh, because it's really easy to get in the field, right? Not too long ago, you could work in a collegiate set, uh, setting and uh, not really have a, a CSCS until somebody like, I think a couple of students died or something not too long ago. Um, and they changed the standard there. But uh, I don't know, I might get some fire for this, but should there be a licensing process within the coaching community to ensure that, that uh, the quality of, of what's coming out and, and what people are learning and how they're learning is kind of managed in a way. Because right now we're in like a little bit of the wild west, right? In terms of coaching, you get all the Instagram influencers, you know, you see that a lot with the online training. Everyone's an online coach now. Everyone's an online coach, you know? Um, so I don't know. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you guys too, like what do you guys think of that? Because there's a lot of shit out there. And from my experience, unless you're told that you're shit, a lot of the times you won't know that you're shit. Yeah. Like you don't know what you don't know, right? right? And it's a very sensitive industry. You can't tell anybody anything because you know everyone's got an ego. Because it's it's a big ego industry, so how do we change that? Is licensing the answer? I'm not quite sure, but I think we need to do something in terms of that, just to kind of make sure that the the legitimacy of the field is is something that's going to be long term. Because right now, people don't know what we do unless they're in the trenches. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people I, don't know the difference between you guys and me and like a guy that works at some global gym. Right. You know, I see a lot of similarities in our industry and an MBA program. Um, you know, you could go through an MBA program and then never open or run a successful business because you never learned an additional skill set that was needed for that business. Right. Um, and I think there's a lot of learning in what we have as the educational system for exercise science. There's a lot left on the table that is definitely needed for success, either in the private sector or in the um, public sector with with colleges and, and schools. So, um, you know, in in that perfect world, I would love to be able to say, yeah, there should be a universal um, you know, certification or requirement that that sport coaches are going through or um strength coaches are going through to be able to to say I'm a strength and conditioning coach but at the same time if we look at those 
educational systems that have been in place for other fields that have been around longer for strength and conditioning, you end up finding a lot of the same thing. So it is a lot left on that individual to continue to seek education. And, and maybe that is uh, enough in itself is, you know, the reason why we have this podcast is so that me and CT can talk to other strength and conditioning coaches and, and pick their brains and continue our education process. And in doing so, we're passing that word along to, you know, our listeners and our athletes and the other coaches that listen to this podcast. So, um, you know, I think we as strength coaches like to think in the lens of like, there is a better way, but I'm not sure if that is more, um, you know, education sometimes turns into indoctrination. Um, and I think that's kind of where we're at. Um, so that's like, fair. you know, I think the people that are people, people, right. That are passionate are going to end up having success in this field. Like you have, and, and like, like CT and I have, have found, you know, over the years. Yeah. Yeah. You make some great points there. I, you know, I don't have an issue with people going on social media and trying to help other people out. Right. I think the issue is now that some people are making a pretty decent amount of money from marketing companies, from just people who are willing to pay to try to sell supplements that don't do anything for anybody. And then they prey on the people who don't understand training or are very new to training, or maybe have just started training since they quarantined for a year. And then now they're trying to figure out the way to get rich quick, right. Or to get slim quick or to get jacked quick and people are getting preyed on. And that that's the issue I have. Um, because I hear a lot of times, you know, it, let's say I'm at a, at a family event and somebody says, oh yeah, CT's the personal trainer. And then somebody will say, oh yeah, we, I know a personal trainer. And I said, no, first of all, I'm a performance coach, not a personal trainer. No offense to personal trainers. I just don't consider myself that. And then I, uh, I also say, we're not the same. Right. And I think <laughs> eventually people recognize that, okay, the, the personal trainer that I have at my, my anytime fitness is not the same as my performance coach who I have at the, at the, in the college sector, in the private sector. And, and, you know, I think that's just important for the individual who is looking for help to find the right help. Right. And, you know, you can go to a doctor who has all the certifications, who's been in the field for a long time and cannot be a good doctor. Yeah. Right. So hopefully somebody doesn't stick with that person if they're not getting better. Right. So you go to somebody else. So it is on the, on the individual to take some ownership over their life. And I think now we're in a place where a lot of people don't want to do that. And they don't want to take any personal personal responsibility, and you know that's okay if that's what what you decide to do. But you got to understand you might you might not get the best help, you might not get the best programming, you might not get the best coaching. Um, but it is on you as an individual to seek that out. And hopefully, there is enough information now with you know podcasts like this and and some people who are doing really good things who are getting exposure for it. And a lot of those coaches we have done our best to have on this podcast. And we've had a lot of coaches with um, really really kind of like fringe thoughts about things and unfortunately the fringy thing is generalized it's not specific you know it doesn't make a ton of money it's not selling anybody anything um but you know we try to help and do our best to be able to spread that spread that knowledge and, and just hope that people take individual responsibility for for their lives and find the right people and find a good community and a good culture to to join and and hopefully they look at it also as the thing that they're going to do for the rest of their lives, right? Not something that they want to do for eight weeks so they can lose some weight for their high school reunion and then go back to doing everything that they were doing that was making them depressed and frustrated and anxious and losing sleep and all those kind of things, right? So got to find somebody with a holistic approach who really cares, who's really in it for the right reasons. And it's hard to do now, unfortunately, with social media, but hopefully conversations like this are kind of helping move, you know, move that, that forward. So you know, we can only hope and pray that people 
listen to things like this and people have conversations and people find good people. Um, but you know, again, it's, it, I think it's eventually on the individual to, to make the right decision that's best for them. Yeah. It's a good answer. So I think that's a, a great place to wrap up coach. People listen to this podcast. They want to hear more from you. They want to see more from you. Where, where can they find you on, on social media? Uh, so I'm uh, at coach Jacko on Instagram and on Facebook, I have uh, just my page, uh, Coach Jacko. <laughs> Pretty simple there. Um, yeah, I'm kind of trying to up the content right now just to kind of reach more people. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you can help 10 people, I saw your posts. I think that's something positive. Um, I think a lot of the time we can be, I don't know, reserved about posting on social media. Um, but, uh, I've kind of been a little bit more consistent for the past month or so, and I'm enjoying it, man. Um, getting some good feedback from people, people that I haven't talked to in ages, reach out to you. It's like, Hey man, that's pretty cool. You know, uh, making some connections, you know, I met you guys through there. So it can be a good tool. Just don't let it kind of consume you. That's all. Right. Yeah. It's easy to yeah. get too deep into it and just like scroll down, you know. Don't look at it, just post and engage. Just post and get out of there. Yeah, man. Thanks, coach, for coming on, bro. We had a had a great conversation. I'm excited for people to hear this. And for everybody listening who made this far, thank you for for supporting the podcast. Thanks for checking us out. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please share it with your friends. We ask you to do three things at the end of every podcast, and you know what it is if you've been listening to Cutoffs and Coffee at all. Number one, continue to pr practice gratitude. Two, tell the people that you love that you love them. And three, live your life stimulated. Thanks, everybody. We will see y'all on the next one. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me.